Lisa. <laughs> First of all, silence your cell phone in church. Don't smoke in church. Don't offer cigarettes to children in church. Don't bring a snake to church. If it's a snake handling church, they'll provide the necessary reptiles. Don't play an instrument in church, unless you're a sanctioned member of the worship team. When you pray for someone in church, don't address the prayer to Anubis, Zeus, Gilgamesh, or any other pagan god. Don't practice jujitsu in church. Don't come to church straight from snorkeling. Don't do laundry in church. Don't breed ferrets in church. Don't advertise your business at church. At least not in an obvious way. Don't try to have anyone stoned in church. They don't really do that sort of thing anymore. Don't eat crab legs in church. Unless you brought enough for everyone. That's wrong. Don't fact check the pastor's sermon on Wikipedia and then correct him in church. Don't power clean in church. If you follow these basic steps, you really will start to fit in at almost any church. Again! Again! Okay, so in every letter to these seven churches, every single one has, has a basic kind of outline to it, and they cover the same kind of practical things. And there's four things at each church that we're going to have as we talk about them. The first one is going to be a, a commendation, okay? Um, Jesus tells John to write down something encouraging that the, the church is doing really well at. He commends them for it. And then that next thing that it goes to is a complaint. And that complaint is going to be something that the church is really struggling with, that he wants to help them to get better at. Okay, so that's going to be the complaint. And then he gives a command to help them fix the complaint that they've got, the complaint that he has, to fix that problem. And then he gives a comfort at the end, just to, to give them encouragement and say, hey, this is what it's all about. Keep your focus on the goal. Keep going. Keep moving forward. Okay. And so those four things are going to be in each letter to each church that we're going to be talking about as we talk about Churchopedia, everything we need to know about the church. Okay. So uh, like I said, some of these things might describe you, so I want you to keep open to that. So the first church we're going to be talking about is the church of Ephesus, all right? And in your outline, we're going to be talking about a couple things that are really important for us to know and to get about the seven churches before we jump into them. And then I also want to give a little bit of background about the church at Ephesus before we jump in to the verse-by-verse -verse study, okay? So in your notes here, the first thing, a couple things we must know about these seven churches. Number one is this, that the seven churches gives us a practical uh, panoramic view of church history, okay? It gives us a panoramic view of church history. And that is, this is kind of a cool thing to look at, and a lot of Bible scholars believe this to be true. Um, however, you cannot prove this to be true in Scripture, but there's a lot of things that point to it being actually truth, okay? So when it talks about a panoramic view over church history, it's talking about the church age from the year 33 all the way up to today, over 2,000 years that the church age has existed. These seven churches that are mentioned 
kind of gives this view, okay? So Doug has talked about how the number seven is so important in the book of Revelation because seven means complete, seven means perfect. Well, there were seven letters to seven churches. And the seven letters to seven churches, that would give us a really accurate, complete panoramic view of the church age. Okay, and if, as you start in Ephesus, that would be the first one, because it's the first letter to the first church, so this would be the first part of the church age, from the year 33 to 200 AD, and that would be the first part of the church age. And, and Ephesus means um, fully purpose. That's what Ephesus means. So it's not in your notes, but if you want to write that down, this is kind of cool to write down. Um, Ephesus means fully purposed. And that description of the name of Ephesus really fits the church age that it's talking about. Okay, from 33 to 200, because a lot of these people that were involved in this church at Ephesus have been eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And these were people that were clearly given that great commission that as, as Jesus resurrected, he gave that church the great commission. And some of these guys heard it in their own ears when they grew when Jesus told them it. And, and we're in that time doing these eyewitnesses and things like that. So you know what? They knew what God wanted them to do. They knew their purpose. And that's why that fits so well, the first church age of Ephesus, to be fully purposed to go out and complete the great commission that Jesus Christ told them to do. And so as we study the remainder of the seven churches, you're going to find out that as we give you the name and the description of the name of the church, it's going to fit perfectly the church age, the time period that it's in, all the way up until the seventh church, which is Laodicea, and the name of that and the description of that really fits today. And that's the seventh church. That's the last church. That's the church where the rapture will happen. So like I said, we can't prove it, but it is really interesting, okay? So it gives us a panoramic view of church history. And second, we need to understand that these are real and practical, okay? They are real and practical, meaning that these churches really existed. These churches really existed in the time of John, and like I've told you already, there's some practical things that all of us can gain from, gain from these seven churches and the letters that are written to them um, as a church and individual members. So those are some things that we need to keep in mind. And then also, before we jump in, let me give you just a few things about the background of the first church here at Ephesus, okay? Um, there's only two letters out of all the churches in the New Testament. Ephesus was the only church that received two letters, okay? And the first one Paul wrote, and we know as the book of Ephesians. And then, then there's the second one, which John wrote, which is the book of, of Revelation that was delivered to the church of Ephesus. It's the only church in the New Testament that received two letters. Um, the Apostle Paul was the one that actually started this church, and after he started it, he raised up Timothy, who then began to pastor it, and then it, it transferred over to John, who began to pastor this church until he was exiled to the island of Patmos, and that's where Jesus revealed this letter that he wrote that was delivered, okay? And the last thing we need to know is this, is that the reason why Ephesus was the first church to re receive this first letter is because Ephesus was the main church, and the other six churches were birthed out of Ephesus. Okay, so just like the Orchard Church is getting ready to send us out to start a church up in Erie, exact same thing that Ephesus did. It started, it got big, and they started six other churches out of it. So it was the main church that started it all, and so they wanted to send this letter first to Ephesus, okay, because Ephesus had a lot going for it. A lot of great things were happening in that church, but what we're going to find out is it began to get careless. Okay, began to become careless in what they were doing. So that's why we're going to call this the Church of Ephesus, the Careless Church. Okay, so Ephesus, the Careless Church. 
And John starts off this letter that he writes, that Jesus revealed to him. He starts this out with a commendation. All right, so let's go ahead and get our Bibles out, chapter 2. And we're going to look at the commendation that, that we start off with here in this letter, okay? Verse 1 says this, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says, He holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Okay, let's stop there for a second. Um, already, man, if you're, if you're like me and you read Revelation, there's a lot of things that are kind of confusing. And you see the angel, you see the seven stars, seven lampstands, you're like, what in the heck is going on? I don't get it. Well, let's, let's stop for a second before we get super confused and kind of talk about these things and define these things, okay? The first thing is the angel, okay? Um, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, that's what it says. What exactly is the angel, okay? And that's what we want to cover real quick. As, as Jesus revealed this to John, John wrote it down, and then John would deliver it to this angel, and the angel would deliver it to the church congregation to hear exactly what was written down. So who exactly is the angel? Now, there's no um, point anywhere in Scripture that reference that every single church has an angel that watches over it. That's nowhere in Scripture. Angel actually translated means messenger, okay, in this text. Angel means messenger. So when Jesus revealed this to John, John sent it off to the messenger, and the messenger relates to the congregation. So who exactly would the messenger would be? It would be the pastor. Okay, so the angel is the pastor. This letter was given to the seven churches, eleven pastors who revealed it to their congregation. So as we talk about to the angel, it's to the pastor, the messenger of the church, okay? Um, the next thing John continues, and let's look at it. It says, these things, let me open that real quick. These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, all right? So let's talk about the seven stars. The seven stars are the seven angels, which are the seven... Yes, you got it. The set, well, not the churches, but the pastors, okay? So the seven stars are the seven angels. The angel, remember, is messenger, so the messenger would be the pastor. Got it. All right, so the seven stars are the seven pastors. So Jesus says he reveals this to the pastors. He holds the pastors in his, in his right hand, he says, and then he walks among the seven lampstands. Well, what exactly are the lampstands? The lampstands are the churches, okay, which is a perfect fit because in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says that as, as believers, as the church, we are the light of the world. We are the light to the darkness. So it fits that the church is the lampstand, okay? So that fits so well. But why would God throw this in? Why would God throw this in the end of verse 1? Because um, I think there's something really practical and really profound that we need to understand when he talks about this. Because here he says in verse 1, to the pastor of the church at Ephesus, I want to give you this. I hold the pastors in my right hand, and I walk among the seven churches. Where is he going with this? Now, I've been to a lot of different churches, and I've been to a lot of churches that have big, huge, beautiful buildings. Um, I've done some great things. I've got all the, you know, the bells and the whistles and all this stuff, and, and you walk in, and you sit in the service, and I've done this so many times at different churches, and you sit in, and it's absolutely dead inside. Outside, it's beautiful. Outside, it looks like everything's going on, and it's a great church, but you sit in, and it's absolutely dead. But then I've been a part of a church, and actually the last church that I was a part of out in Ohio, when I first got there, this, the building was awful. 
You know, it was like straight out of the 1970s. The, the, the walls were painted like a pea green. I remember the room that they were going to give me to, to do the youth group in. had a record player still in it. So I was like, holy cow. And so you walk in, and, and like right off the bat, you're like, oh my gosh, this is going to be awful. This church is going to be awful. But then, you know, as you sit in the service, Man, it was, it was kicking. God was doing some great things. God was moving. It was alive. Much like here at the Orchard Church, God is doing something great. God is alive. God is moving. And so what, what he's trying to say here that Jesus wants the church at Ephesus to know is this. That Ephesus, even though you've got some great things going on, and yeah, you know what? You've done a lot of good things. You've started six other churches, and on the outside, things look great. And a lot of times at different churches, on the outside, things look great, but he wants us to know that, hey, I'm holding everything in my right hand. I'm in control, and I walk in the midst of the churches. I know what's going on. And on the outside, it can look great. And you can have all the bells and whistles, and you can fool everybody by doing this program and that program, but I just want to let you know that I really know what's going on inside. And he wanted Ephesus to know that because Ephesus began to get careless. And you know what? That is practical for us as individuals, isn't it? And we can fool people. We can come in and, you know paint the smiley face on and we can come in and help set up, help tear down, serve in this area, serve in that area. And we can be like, look on the outside, I've got things going on. I'm doing great. I'm happy. On the outside, everyone's looking at you and saying, wow, they're, they're, they're doing great. But God just wants you to know that he walks in the midst of us and he knows what's really going on inside. You know, it reminds me of a verse in Matthew chapter 23, verses 27 28. We'll put it up there on the screen. It says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and uncleanliness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You know, it's easy to kind of go through the motions, isn't it? It's easy just to go to church. It's easy just to sing the songs. It's easy to talk the lingo and fool everybody else so that everybody else thinks the outside is doing good. They must be doing great. But on the inside, man, you're dead. And it's easy to get there. And we can pretend all we want. Just like Ephesus was trying to do. It had a lot of good things going on on the outside. But man, God was saying, listen, I walk in the midst of you and I know what's really going on. And for a lot of us here this morning, this really hits us. We can pretend all we want. God doesn't care about the outside. He cares about the inside, and he knows. He knows exactly what's going on. And Ephesus had the same thing going on for them. They had the outward going on. They were doing some great things. But the inside, they were becoming careless, and there were some things that he wanted to hit. But before he gets there and really attacks that, he just wanted to give him the heads up and say, Ephesus, just so you know, I know you got these good things going on, but I know what's really going on. But before he gets there, he wants to commend them on some things. He wants to let them know that, hey, you're doing some great things. Okay, because sometimes when we're doing good things, it kind of builds up our head and takes our focuses off what really matters. And he wanted Ephesus to catch this, okay? So let's look at some of the things that, that Jesus wanted to commend the church at Ephesus for doing because they were being faithful at some things. So let's look at verse 2. He says this, I know your works. Okay, I know your works. Well, what's that mean? That means their service. 
that these guys were faithful in serving. They were there every Sunday. They were doing everything that they needed to do to get this church there at Ephesus to move forward. I know your works, your service. Next thing I know your works, your labor. What's that? That's their sacrifice. They had made some sacrifice. They sacrificed time, talents, and treasure to do the things that they needed to, um, to do the things that they know God wanted them to do. They made some sacrifice. I know your works, your labor, your patience. They were steadfast. They continued on. There was no stopping for them. They were going to continue to do the things that they knew God wanted them to do. So they were steadfast. He continues on there. And that you cannot bear those who are evil. They were separated. That's the next thing. They were separated. They, they knew what things to be a part of, and they knew what things not to be a part of. They lived separate from the world. They wanted to be set apart in an honoring relationship and walk with God. Okay, So they were separated. The next thing is they continue on. And we have tested those who say they're apostles and are not, and have found them liars. Okay? Not only were they separate from the world, knowing the things to be part of, knowing the things that they should not be a part of, but they were also separated from false teachers. And during this time, and still today, there's a lot of false teachers that come in and try to twist the word of God around and lead people astray. And a lot of these people were coming into the church at Ephesus, but, but Ephesus was really good at keeping these guys away and from influencing anybody else in the church. And so he wanted to commend them for that. And even in verse 6, it gives a specific group of people. Let's look at that real quick. That was trying to sneak in the church. It says in verse 6, But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Okay, now this group of people, and Doug's going to talk more about them next week as we continue on with it. But the Nicolaitans, what, what that name means, it means the Lord over them. And this group of people snuck in Ephesus and they twist the word of God around and try to make it say things that it really wasn't saying. And they were trying to get people in the church to follow what they were doing. But the church at Ephesus was really good at keeping them at bay and not having influence. And so they wanted, John wanted to commend them for what they were doing. Okay, so let's look now at verse 3. They were doing some great things. The last one. And you have preserved and have patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. Okay, they were doing the work. They were doing some great things. And they kept going on. They were steadfast. And so they were doing well. And so what, what John wants to do here, as Jesus kind of related to him, we want to do the sandwich technique. You guys familiar with that? Well, if you want to tell someone that they stink at something, then you want to tell them something good, then throw in the thing that they're horrible at, and then end it with something good, right? So that way they don't hate you. And that's, what, that's exactly what was happening here, okay? The, the real reason to get this to Ephesus is that, man, you guys are stinking at something, and I want to help you out, but I don't want you to hate me. So I'm going to throw this commendation at you and, and let you know you're doing something good, and then at the end he also says something really encouraging to them. But right now he wants to slide in that, like, that, that punch in the gut real quick, okay? And he throws in that, the complaint right here in the middle. So let's look at the complaint. Verse 4, it says this, Nevertheless, I have this against you. Here's my complaint. This is what I don't like. I have this against you. This is what Jesus is saying. That you have left your first love. That's his complaint. I want you to look at, this is what we call buddy. This is buddy, okay? Now, uh, this is my favorite stuffed animal. No, I still sleep with it. No, okay. My son Christian is getting ready to turn five, and when he was a baby, this was one of the first gifts that was given to him. And as he kind of grew up, he, I mean, he loves this thing, and the name Buddy just kind of came along with it. So as soon as Christian was given this, 
Um, man, he would sleep within his crib. He'd lay his head on it. He would chew on it. He'd wipe his nose with it. He would walk around everywhere with it. He wouldn't go to sleep without his buddy. If he didn't have it, he'd throw a fit until he got his buddy. Then he could sleep. And this was white. Now it's kind of got like a yellowish tint to it. And this thing at times would smell absolutely horrific. Okay, it was awful. But he loves his buddy. This was most favorite thing in the world. He loved this thing so much. And he had this forever, okay, all the way up until he was like three and a half, somewhere around there, because then we were getting ready to move from Ohio to move out here to Colorado a couple years ago. And so Buddy got shoved in a box with a bunch of other toys, and then we moved out here, and when we unpacked, Buddy got shoved in a box, at the bottom of a box, a bunch of other toys, and was kind of forgotten about. And, and Christian's love for this buddy kind of disappeared. I'll come back to Buddy here in a little bit. Same thing happened at Ephesus. Okay, Like I said, this church, a lot of them were eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were clearly given the purpose that God wanted them to do with their life. What this life is all about. They got it. They understood it. Man, they, they loved Jesus Christ. They knew the purpose. This was all new to them. They wanted to serve Him. They wanted to do the things that He had asked of them to do because they loved Christ that much and they understood what it was all about. But after time... That love, their first love, started to fall away. They started to forget about it. Now, it was obvious from Jesus' commendation to the church that they were still doing some good things. And because they were doing some good things, that's what they were focused on. Hey, we're doing good things. We're doing good things. But they had left their first love. They were having heart problems. They were doing things out of duty and not from the heart. You know what they did? They forgot the why. The why was shoved away and forgotten about. And so many churches and so many members of churches and individuals in the church are in that same spot. They forgot the why. The why is shoved away and forgotten about. You know, why are we here this morning? Why are we here this morning? Why did we, why did we come here and, and set all this stuff up? And, and, and we have, why, why are people hosting and, and, and the hosting and greeting? And why is there a children's ministry? Why are people even helping out in the children's ministry? Why did we sing those songs? Why are we even doing any of this stuff? Why are we going to do it again at 11 o'clock? Why, why are we doing all this stuff? That why without it, it leaves us empty. It leaves us absolutely empty. I love this statement. It says this, The problem with the church is not that it's filled with empty seats, but that the seats are filled with empty people. That although they come in and they're doing all the things, and they're doing this and they're doing that, and on the outside everything looks great, but now on the inside we've forgotten our first love. We've forgotten the why. And it's so easy to get there in our personal life and our personal relationship. That we just kind of come here on Sundays. We come here on Sundays because that's what we're supposed to do. You come here, some of the people that come here at 7 o'clock to set up because it's the right thing to do. We'll stay after church and help tear down because someone asked me to do it. 
Will I serve on the children's ministry this week? Why? Well, well because it's my week. Well, I serve as a, as a part of the host team. Well, I'm a greeter at the door because, well, it's my month on the rotation. Well, I do this and I do that. Well, because one of the pastors asked me to do it. Man, we've forgotten the why, haven't we? It's become a duty. And we've forgotten our first love. We just, we just do things out of, because it's just motion. That's what we're used to. That's where Ephesus was. Because if we're just doing things because it's the right thing to do, something's wrong. We have forgotten our first love. Look what Paul says about this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says this, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I've become a sounding brass or clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I can remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Paul's saying this, man, I do all these great things. I do this and I do that and I do this. But you know what? If you don't have love, then you've got nothing. You can do all the great deeds and you can do all the things that a good church-going person should do, but you know what? If you don't have love, if you've forgotten your first love, you've forgotten the why, then you know what? It profits nothing. Nothing. If serving God has become a duty or the right thing to do, we have forgotten our first love. Ephesus was there. You may be there this morning. Well, how do we fix it? Well, that's where Jesus gives a command to say, hey, church, this is how you need to fix it. So let's turn there. Let's look at the command. Verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Jesus gives us a perfect outline here. Just four steps, perfect steps that we can do to fix this problem that is so easy to fall into. What is it? Well, the first step is this. Remember. Remember. He says, remember from where you have fallen. Right, let me get Buddy out again. Buddy got packed away, was shoved in a box, and, and Christian had forgotten the love that he had for Buddy. Okay? Well, one day, this is about, I don't know, a year ago, um, Christian was digging through a box of toys, and, and when he got to the bottom of the toys, he saw Buddy. And we were there, and, and when he saw Buddy, his eyes got all big, his jaw dropped, and he yelled out, Buddy! And he reached down and grabbed it, and then he squeezed this thing so hard. I mean, it was like Christmas all over again. And so our plan is, six months before Christmas, we're going to hide it. And then we'll just rewrap it, and we're hoping we won't have to buy Christmas and gifts until maybe 30. That's what we're hoping for. But he reached in and he grabbed out Buddy and he squeezed it. And I, I'm telling you, he sleeps with this thing every single night. He loves his Buddy. But you know what? He remembered the love that he had fallen from. He loved this thing. But he had forgotten. But as soon as he saw it, he remembered how much he loved it. You know, I think... It's this, it works the same way for us. As followers of Christ, as we go through our life, there's going to be a lot of times that, and maybe you're in it now, that you're going to abandon and you're going to neglect your first love. 
what do you do? You need to remember the love that you have fallen from. Go back to that time where you loved him so much that you were so close, that you were so passionate about him, that your relationship with him was so great that something has happened and you have forgotten. You need to remember that love. Remember the love from where you have fallen. The next thing, number two, is you need to repent. John says, remember the love from where you have fallen? Repent. Confess. Turn away from some things. Listen, it just didn't happen. Some things crept in your life that got you to this point. Some things crept into Ephesus that got them to this point where they've forgotten their first love. Satan got a foothold somewhere. Satan has got a foothold in some of your lives this morning. You need to figure out where that is, and you need to repent. You need to confess. You need to turn away from it. First John 1 John 1.9 says this, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Remember, repent. The third thing is this, return. Return. Jesus says, and do the first works. Well, what's that mean? That means this, that love that you once had, return to that. We return to that work of love. Remember Peter when, when, when Jesus was arrested and was taken back to, to be on trial and Peter kind of followed and, and he went to that courtyard and a bunch of people asked him, hey, do you know Jesus? Are you with Jesus? And three times Peter denied that he knew Christ. After Jesus resurrected, he showed himself to Peter, had a conversation with Peter. And, and three times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter would say three times, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus would answer, Then feed my sheep. Feed my people. Feed my church. And I think it's so cool in this verse that we're looking at in Revelations 2.5, as well as how Jesus dealt with Peter, tie him so perfectly together. Because Jesus wanted Peter to serve him because he loves him. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. Serve me because you love me. Serve me because you love me. Ephesus, do you love me? Then do these works because you love me. Orchard Church, do you love them? Do you love them? Then you know what? Come at 7 o'clock in the morning and set up service. Why? Not because it's your turn, it's your month on the rotation, but because you love him. Serve in the children's ministry. Every week. Why? Because you love them. Be a part of the praise team. Be a part of the greeters. Greet people at the door. Be a part of the host team. Get involved in the youth ministry. Be a, a, a small group host. Know about discipleship. Get involved in discipleship. Become a disciple. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. No, because you love Jesus Christ that much. That you want to do those things because you love them. Your first love. That's the why. It's not because it's the right thing to do. It's not because one of the pastors asked you to do it. It's not because when we're going through the motions and everybody expects me to do it. You know, you do it because you love them. Period. Because I love them. Next thing here. Next step is to remove. Okay? Remove. Jesus says, if not, I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand, which is the church, from its place unless you repent. Okay, so he gives a warning here. And the warning is this, that it's either revival, that you're going to repent and you're going to fix some things, 
or its removal. When you look at the church of Ephesus, from what we know, they never revived, they never repented, they never changed things, and it just went to ruin. And, and that lampstand, that church, was removed from the influence that it had. And that's a warning that as a church, we should definitely take into consideration because it's either always about revival or removal. But the consequences are the same as Christians and followers of Jesus Christ, as members of the church, that if we have forgotten our first love, if we have forgotten our first love, it's either revival or removal. What's that mean? That means this, that the light that you have, it's not that you lose your salvation, but it's the fact that you're not going to be able to influence anybody. That light's not going to shine. It's either revival or removal. And there's serious consequences that we should definitely think about. And out of all the points this morning, this one is the most practical. This one is the one that all of us should really open our mind and our heart to because this one means the most. Because many of you may be going through the motions. And that love has faded away into the background. And you've been faking things for a long time. Remember what he said in verse 1. You can pretend all you want, but Jesus walks in the midst. He walks among us. He knows what's going on. And maybe you're just doing things, coming to church out of duty, or serving in areas out of duty. Listen, if you have not love, it profits nothing. There may be some heart issues this morning. And we need to remember, we need to remember the love which we have fallen from. When Christian pulled out Buddy and he saw him for the first time, he remembered the love that he had for him. He remembered all the times that Buddy had comforted him to help him fall asleep. He remembered all those things. And as soon as he saw Buddy, all that love came rushing to his heart and to his mind, and he remembered it, and he loved him. We need to be reminded and remember how much Jesus Christ loves us. How much sacrifice and love that he has shown every single one of us. Because if we can get that picture, if we can see it and we can grab it and hold on to it, you know what? That love, our first love, is going to come rushing back. And if we can remember that, it's going to be hard to fall from that. If we can continually remember the devotion and the sacrifice that Jesus gave to show us how much he loves us. I want you to watch this video.
how much he loves us that's how much he loves us and it's so easy to forget and fall from our first love and to forget how much he loves us and it's easy to get just like Christian with this toy that gets shoved away and forgotten about it's so easy to forget that it's so easy to fall from that because life gets hard life gets busy sin comes in and drowns it all away but we need to remember the love that we have fallen from and how much he loves us because if we can be reminded of that continually we can have that love 
that we're going to serve and do things because we love him so much. So Jesus gives this church a commendation, a complaint, a command, and last real quick. He gives a comfort just to end it. <clears throat> Let's look at verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear. That's everybody. He's saying, everybody, listen up. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Not just the one church, but all the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. What's the tree of life? The tree of life is symbolic of eternal life. So he's offering us eternal life in the midst of the paradise of God. Well, what's the paradise of God? Well, that's heaven. So for those who are overcomers, what awaits for us is eternal life in heaven. Well, who exactly are the overcomers? Does that mean it's just for people who never fall into sin and never forget their first love? Does that mean that we can lose our salvation? No, not at all. That's not what an overcomer is. Well, what's an overcomer? Look what John 5 tells us. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? Here's the answer. But he who believes in Jesus, the Son of God. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you're an overcomer. And the comfort this morning is that what awaits for us is eternal life in heaven. That as we live every single day, remember the sacrifice that was given and remember the question, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know I love you. Then live for me and serve me because you love me. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for me.